from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Learning how to farm from the ground up. You need to go out and talk and understand the trends, uh, especially new farmers. How these new farmers are taking big steps forward. Plus, could fertilizer prices be dropping even further? A look at how a change in tariffs on one country could impact the market. As a major court ruling could help clear the way for something farmers have come to rely on out in the field. And the court said that that action was arbitrary and capricious. What the decision means right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clint Griffiths. It's a tool used by farmers to protect crops and it just got a big boost thanks to a court ruling. The Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals overturning an EPA rule that effectively prohibited the use of chlorpyrifos. Ag Day's Michelle Rook has been looking into this and Michelle, this ruling basically allows Ag to use the product and for it to be reinstated. That's right, although we don't know when chlorpyrifos will be reinstated. This is a huge win for farmers who have been battling EPA for more than two years after they banned the insecticide for use. And I should also point out this sets a huge precedent for the future. The court ruling says EPA didn't follow the science from their own scientific advisory committee, which found there were a number of safe uses for chlorpyrifos, including crops like cherries, sugar beets, wheat, and soybeans. The ruling goes on to say that EPA didn't consider all of their options. They could have found and continued the registration for chlorpyrifos, but instead they thought that they were running out of time and they just... Uh, uh, canceled all of the uses for chlor chlorpyrifos, including the ones that their own scientists said were safe uses. And the court said that that action was arbitrary and capricious. So it vacated the actions that the EPA had done of uh, withdrawing those tolerances and uh, sent it back to the EPA. Chlorpyrifos is an important insecticide, according to Sensky. In the case of soybeans, it's used to control sucking insects like soybean aphids, and it's one of the few options farmers have available. While the insecticide will be reinstated, it's unclear yet if farmers will be able to use it in the 2024 season. There are still some more steps that have to take place. The uh, EPA, of course, does have the, the option to appeal it, so we'll see what they do. We're hoping that they don't. There are still some uh, further steps that need to happen. Uh, so it's undetermined right now whether it will be available for 2024. We hope that it is. Um, that's our goal is for that it would be available. In the meantime, Sensky says the ruling from the Eighth Circuit sets a favorable precedent for their battle against EPA on a number of other registrations and re-registrations of important crop protection tools for agriculture. I'm Michelle Work reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Another important decision that could help lower the price on some fertilizers. The U.S. Commerce Department announcing it is lowering duties placed on phosphate fertilizers imported from Morocco. They would move the almost 20% down to just over 2%. Now, the agency is saying the decision comes after an administrative review was conducted on the duties, which is done every year. Now, the tariff started back in 2021 after a petition from Mosaic to impose duties on phosphate imported from Morocco and Russia. Now, Mosaic had claimed that unfairly subsidized foreign companies were flooding the U.S. market with cheap fertilizer. 
and we had a very favorable ruling out of the Court of International Trade a couple of months ago that remanded these cases back to the ITC and the Commerce Department telling Commerce you had made some errors when you calculated the duty rates and for the ITC saying we're not so sure that there is harm being caused you need to take another look at this and that's been our argument all along is that these Moroccan uh, fertilizer imports are not harming other domestic producers. In fact, growers depend on imports uh, to meet their needs. Meanwhile, the Commerce Department raised the tariffs on one Russian producer from more than 9% to 28.5%. Mosaic says it's disappointed by the ruling and is considering its next steps. We first told you about this last week on AgWeb. North Dakota is giving Iowa a run for its money. When it comes to farmland sales, Piper Auctioneers says it believes it has set a new land sale record there in North Dakota. The farm featuring 320 acres of highly productive land in Pembina County, the northern side of the Red River Valley. The auction house reporting the land sold for $17,500 per deeded acre. Auctioneers saying that the land here is tightly held and little ever makes it to the market, adding that what drove the high prices is the capability to produce sugar beets and potatoes on this farm. And it says it was sold to a family farm operation. As for Iowa, after hitting records last year, Jim Rothermich of Iowa Appraisal says the market has declined a small percentage. The top land sale happening in Sioux County, Iowa back in November a year ago at $30,000 to the acre. You can read more about it over at agweb.com. Farmers racing to finish harvest got some relief from the rain and snow over the weekend. Now, what could be on the way this week? We get an update from meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht. Yeah, the pattern that is setting up across the country keeps things pretty quiet. So as we finish up uh, the harvest this week, uh, looking for some light rain in and across uh, parts of Minnesota and Wisconsin. This is going to be all rain, uh, unlike last week when we were dealing with snow. Uh, got a system that is going to try to work in and across Texas and back up here to the north and to the east. Otherwise, what we're going to be eyeing is the west coast. You see kind of the uh, bullseye. Now, one to two inches of rainfall on the west coast uh, can translate through the jet stream and bring some more significant rainfall across the United States. But that is about four or five days out at the very earliest. And uh, go ahead and take a look at your screen on this one. This is cute. Uh, Adam sending this one in St. Louis, Michigan, known as the Middle of the mitten. You looking at your hand? I'm looking at my hand right there. That has some help spotting out there in the combine, keeping up the good work. And I, I got to mention this. You got you got to look right down here. He's ready. Having some fun too. We'll take a look at your full forecast coming up in just a bit. Several U.S. ag industry leaders traveled to China last week to meet with their counterparts. The delegation of 11 groups, including U.S. Soybean Export Council, U.S. Grains Council, and U.S. Wheat Associates took part. The visit coming after Chinese grain buyers signed non-binding agreements in Iowa to buy billions of dollars worth of grain, mostly soybeans. It's the first signed deal of its kind since 2017. It comes on the heels of the announcement that President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping are scheduled to meet in San Francisco next Tuesday. The two leaders haven't met in person since the G20 summit in Bali almost a year ago. The National FFA Convention wrapping up over the weekend in Indianapolis. The 96th National Convention and Expo attracting more than 70,000 students interested in agriculture. Among those taking part, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. He spoke to convention goers on Thursday, emphasizing the importance of ensuring that farms of all sizes have the opportunity to succeed. 
The secretary is signing a memorandum of understanding with FFA, formalizing a partnership to prepare more students for careers in food, ag science, natural resources, and other related fields. And I know that your FFA experiences prepare you to face these challenges with bold solutions, clear thought, and an eye toward progress. I'm here today to say very clearly, I believe in the future of agriculture because I believe in you, our next generation of agriculture leaders. The secretary also receiving an honorary American FFA degree, which recognizes his service to ag and the National FFA organization. Soybean surged and corn bounced off of two-year lows. That's how markets closed last week. What's in store for this week? We'll take a look in Markets Now. And later, Machinery Pete says it was the hottest auction he's ever seen. That's a tall order. We'll get his takeaways today after weather. Ag Day is brought to you by Lamar's Toy Store, the largest and most diversified farm toy store in the U.S. They have new and old and do restorations and customizations too. You need to see it to believe it. Visit lamarstoystore.com or call us at 712-546-4305. Corn futures rebounded on Friday, but soybeans really took off out of weather concerns in Brazil. Michelle Rook is back to talk things over with Brian Doherty in Markets Now. Grain School is higher on Friday. Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing joining us. And Brian, soybeans led the complex, a big, strong technical day. But fundamentally, was that South American weather concerns or talk of export business? Well, it's, it's a little bit of both, and, and it's also a big drop in the U.S. dollar as well. So exports have picked up. We know that. They're still lagging a year ago at this same time, uh, but it's a different story. And it's it's kind of rumored that the Brazilian farmer is a light seller, but the big story really is this continued wet weather in the south of Brazil, dry in the north. And and you got to look at the calendar. This isn't October 1st. It's, it's the first week of November, so it starts to matter a little bit more. In addition, today, there's some talk of a very strong cold front pushing into uh, what we're going to call southern Brazil, and that seemed to have the trade on the offense. Then you've got some short covering and uh, some momentum building, and those who bought recently are finding a little more confidence in stepping in front of this and buying more. So it becomes a combination of things, but the really strong close on the week was impressive. Most futures contracts well over 30 cents higher on the week. So corn followed soybeans. We bounced off of a two-year low. How important was that, Brian? Technically, it's really important. You, you drop right back down to the low that we saw here uh, several weeks back in the December corn, and that was based in mid-September off the USGA report, put the low end, rallied up. It had a disappointing last couple of weeks here, but when you double bottom here, and it's not unusual to see the corn market maybe tail off into late October, November, historical studies, so there's about a 50% chance that happens. And when the market does tail off like that double bottom, you get strength elsewhere. So what do you think uh, with the momentum that we saw on Friday in corn and soybeans, can we keep going? You know, time of year wise, we're not surprised to see the corn market down late October, early November. Uh, typically, the market will bottom in the August, September window, rally up some. And then it's about a 50-50 shot. We either go back down to new lows or we hold and move higher. Uh, this year we went back down to lows, so it's, it's getting more challenging to see farmers who are going to be aggressively sellers of corn. Harvest will be winding down soon. Basis will have to do the heavy lifting or the market moving higher or both. Right now there's not a lot of appetite to sell much corn into the market uh, by most producers. Okay, we'll see how we start the week. Thanks for joining us, Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing. That's Markets Now, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up.
To discuss marketing strategies, call 800-334-9779. take a good look at that jet stream kind of plan out the rest of the week but also uh, the weekend and next week a zonal pattern uh, that we have uh, in play and a weak clipper system is going to try to bring in some cooler we cooler weather also some rain chances back up into the northeast rather shallow uh, so in terms of uh, the cold air it's not going to expand back down here to the south rather parts of the southeast are going to continue to see some warmer than average temperatures and that's mainly in the southeast but also into Texas and back up into Missouri in Illinois. So again, this is on Tuesday. That energy that we're looking at earlier, those rain showers uh, on the West Coast, that's going to translate through the jet stream, uh, dig our next trough. But once again, uh, this is going to have problems really digging in and across the United States. So it's going to be more shallow and more gradual. And anytime we want to talk about uh, snow in the forecast, rain in the forecast, uh, this is not the kind of pattern uh, you typically see when it comes to those stronger storms or uh, the rainfall or snow threat. Rather, it's going to be the exact opposite as we look into the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. More ridging back out here to the west is going to bring about some more warm air in and across the United States. So the temperature outlook, this gets us to about November 12th, back down into the southeast. You got uh, above normal temperatures, but also uh, into the Dakotas as well. So even though we started off the month with the snow and the cold air, everything's flipping back uh, to a warmer pattern through the middle of November. In fact, I'm taking this out through the middle of November through the 16th, and you see those uh, above normal temperatures sitting in across the plains as well as the Midwest extending down here to the south as well. Hazard, Kentucky, partly cloudy, high around 72 degrees, low of 59. Hayden, Colorado, high of 59 degrees, low of 40. Hermiston, 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 Oregon, mostly sunny, high of 58. Got equipment to sell privately but tired of scams and hassles? Visit MachineRepeat.com and click Sell Mine. MachineRepeat.com, the simple and secure way to buy and sell equipment online. auction prices have to be pretty incredible if they even shock machinery Pete. Take a look at what he watched happen at a recent auction. Well folks, October 28th, I was in Winchester, Kentucky. I was there to cover the farm retirement auction for Grayson Farms, a sale by Taylor Auction Company, and wow, what a day. It was the hottest auction I've ever seen. There were 15 new record high sale prices set on this auction. Now here's a picture of Dr. John Gray, an oral surgeon, great guy. Uh, now John has had about a 180 acre hay farm there and over the last 15 plus years he's scoured North America looking for the best condition lowest hour John Deere tractors he could find to buy and bring back to the farm. And John had a thing for the 55 series and I had posted a YouTube video the night of the auction got a lot of attention. Um, John had a, a 4455 two-wheel drive 3500 3549 hours on it when you tacked on the buyer's fee, it's over $97,850. But right next to it was a beautiful 93 model 4960, 3,637 hours on it. That went for $139,360. So they both just smashed the former record prices. And back up the line, just a couple tractors, was John's 4055 two-wheel drive with 3,143 hours on it. That went for $82,400, second highest price ever on a 4055. 
But uh, folks, I got to tell you, as hot as those tractors were, to me, the tractor that really got me was this one, a John Deere 6150M two-wheel drive, 763 hours, no loader, went for 154,500 bucks. Now that's $11,500 over the previous record high auction price on a 6150M from two years ago in Illinois, which by the way, had fewer hours and a loader. Now here's a picture of the guy that bought the 6150M, Tim Knutson, came out to the sale with his daughter from Burlington, Washington, and by the way, Tim also bought the 4455 and he bought one more tractor, a John Deere 6400 with 1500 hours on a loader and that went for 81,885 bucks, smashed another record price. I tell you, Tim was bringing three beautiful tractors back home to the state of Washington. All right, thanks Pete. Now given some of the cost, starting as a new farmer can be a real challenge. Up next, we'll tag along in Louisiana with some folks chasing the dream of farming in the country. Where do you turn if you want to get started in farming? Well, Southern University in Louisiana recently held a small farmers conference packed with information to help get small farmers started. This week in Louisiana Agriculture's Neil Melanson reports they also got to take a tour of a farming operation for inspiration. Tim Melanson is cooking up something good in the kitchen at T. Moyes Farms. They're having company today from Southern University's Small Farmers Conference, which is touring their farm as part of a three-day event. Tim's wife, Monica, says the event is a chance to showcase their diversified operation. Well, we're kind of a different kind of farm. We're mainly um, based on with livestock. So we're raising pigs and cattle and uh, some uh, lambs and meat chickens. There's a need uh, uh, for pasture-raised meat chickens. Melanson says they too have a lot to learn. Right now, they're trying to build a processing facility on the farm, not only to cut costs, but to help other farmers have a place to go. We did a loan and we did the, we have the processing facility, but now there's a, it's been challenging to harvest our animals, so we need to add a kill floor. And that's gonna cost quite a bit of money, so we're pondering which direction to take. Without harvesting the animals, we cannot processing them. One of the farmers on the tour is Chris Muse. His family used to farm and now he and his three brothers have returned to it, which is why educational opportunities like this are so valuable. I came from the corporate world, you know, networking was uh, beneficial and, and it directly applies to farming. If you're not networking, uh, understanding, you know, what's happening on other farms or what's happening in your area or what's happening overall in the U.S., you're going to be left behind. You need to go out and talk and understand the trends, uh, especially new farmers. Muse says while there are many challenges to farming, consumer interest in local food is helping support their market. We're in a very rural area. People now are more conscious about what they're eating, what they're putting into their body, what they're feeding their kids. So they want to look at, hey, where the animals are grown, how they're being taken care of, uh, to assure that they're eating healthy. Monica says one of the highlights of this conference is showing the lifestyle here. The connection with nature, animals, and food every day is a reward itself. I think there's um, a specialty for meat chickens, I believe, and um, other products. Um, they can do pork as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, value-added product, value products is also a good avenue, you know, for, um, you know, the 
for the and for the meats. Whether it's from the meat case you see behind me or any of the products on the shelf, like those honey or even their own custom made spices, it seems like there's something for everyone here at the farm. And that's the viability of small farms. They can offer a lot of the food products that are so integral to our culture in South Louisiana, especially. Reporting from Sunset, Louisiana, I'm Neil Malalsong. All right, thanks, Neil. And as always, thanks to This Week in Louisiana Agriculture for sharing that story. That's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Davis. Have a great day.